Welcome back to Screen Time with Rowan Roper. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. Coming to America. It is returning. This is the sequel with the number two between the coming and the America. We're also going to talk about the first coming to America and why it was such a groundbreaking film when it came out in 1988. Also, the Thursday three, three things you need to see this upcoming weekend. Lots of good stuff here. We're also going to talk to Kiki Lane, who plays Prince Akeem, then maybe even King Akeem's eldest daughter in coming to with a number America. Oh, it's going to be. Well, I don't want to give it away. Oh, give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Oh, that was a song. So much fun. Of course, the first one, one of the great comedies of the 1980s. This second one does not disappoint, but I'll let you do all the reviewing and then I'll agree or disagree where I need to. Hmm. Reminding you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is being brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. You know that. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, it all drives your overall business success. Because AmericanEagle.com believes that today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com for all the information. Much has changed in Queens. Yes, but some things have not. Floyd money, Mayweather ain't shit. He beat that Filipino boy ass, pack of Kwondo, pack of Mondo, whatever his name is, he beat that boy ass, clan. And he beat the Meshuganat, Conor McGregor, the Irish. Yeah, because he had to do that for the blacks. In this political climate, black man can't be taking no ass whipping from no white man, but it caused a riot. I was ready to riot anyway. I want to give me one of them flat screen TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, Abby, damn, look who done come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Famine and Blood Diamond. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. <laughs> That's the first barbershop scene from Coming to America, the sequel. The Mighty Sharp uh, Barbershop, of course, in Queens Row. And it was great to see that uh, they have a great, great employment plan there because the original owner and the barbers are all still there and the favorite customers who, according to the timeline of Coming to America, would be about 120 years old now. But they look great. <laughs> and they're happy to see Akeem has come back to America. The setup for the sequel for Coming to America, and we got to keep saying this because we're on the podcast here, Coming to America with the numeral you know, maybe it looked clever when they were marketing and starting to figure out a sequel to this movie, but it makes it very difficult to talk about it without explaining that you're talking about not the original, but the sequel, you know, coming back to America, just a thought. But hey, it's coming to America. It's the sequel more than 30 years after the original row. And as you know, uh, not only was the originally a huge hit, it made $300 million in 1980s dollars and, you know, just was a global phenomenon from the moment that movie came out. There's been talk and hope of a sequel. Sequel was never going to happen, obviously, without Eddie Murphy. I think Arsenio was probably on board most of the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll along that's the true. way here, and a lot of the other cast members uh, who, who are also going to return, and we'll talk about that. Uh, and there were different scripts. At one point, uh, the great Ryan Coogler, who did Fruitville Station and Creed and Black Panther with Michael B. Jordan, had proposed a sequel with Michael B. Jordan playing. Eddie Murphy's son, and Eddie Murphy said, well, that's going to make it about Eddie, my son's character. And even though there is an introduction of a son character in the sequel, it's really still about Prince Akeem. Why wouldn't it be? He's the star. Right. Some people are saying, well, it's a comeback. I don't think Eddie Murphy was ever lost. Eddie Murphy did a lot of projects that were more esoteric than the general audience stuff he'd been doing forever. But this is him at his most refined as a comedian and as an actor. 
there are some great and some very funny takes where he just leans back in the scene and lets everything unfold. He's not jumping. He's letting the comedy breathe. It's so interesting you mentioned that. Uh, going back and watching the original, the first time when Prince Akeem meets his bride-to-be, who's played by the great Vanessa Bell Calloway, and he starts asking her what she likes, and she says she likes whatever he likes. And then he actually at one point gets her to hop on one foot and bark like a dog. <laughs> if you go back and look at that scene, Ro, there's a moment where Eddie Murphy turns to the camera like Groucho Marx style and actually just looks at us like, can you guys believe this shit? And this was not a movie that broke the fourth wall, but right. he does for one split second of a take, which is unbelievably brilliant and subtle and so well done. Bottom line is Eddie Murphy still got it, even though he never lost it. And Prince Akeem is still married to the lovely Lisa McDowell, played by Sherry Hadley, who's wonderful. So in the sequel, it's 30-some years later. They have three beautiful daughters. One's about 21-ish and a teenager and a little one. Uh, they're living happily in Zamunda. Uh, King Joffrey Joffer, played by the great James Earl Jones, is uh, he's, ha he's in his last days mm -hmm. uh, ruling Zamunda, shall we say, Roe. And according to the outmoded decree of this land only a male can become an heir to the throne prince akim has three daughters what are they gonna do da -da -da -da! plot point here we go it turns out that he has a son in america that he never knew existed who's now a grown man that's why they go back to america jermaine fowler plays his son his biological son he didn't even know he didn't even know he hooked up with anybody other than lisa they explain that in ways we don't need to go into and he brings his son back to zamunda to train to become the rightful heir to the throne. But in the meantime, Kiki Lane's Mika is so obviously a better choice to run the country. She's got the physical combat skills, the intellect, uh, the warmth, the intelligence, the humor, everything you'd want in a queen. But according to the rules of the nation of the land of Zamunda, she can't become queen. And here's what she told you about that. I think that's something that a lot of women can relate to of when you know that you are the most qualified person for the job. You have all the things that without question, it should be yours. And yet, because you are a woman, you can't have it just because of that. And someone who clearly is not as qualified gets to come in and essentially take something that, especially in Mika's place, it, it's her birthright. And of course, the other amazing thing, Ro, is not only does Arsenio Hall come back to join Eddie Murphy, and they have this great chemistry together, and they play the multiple characters they played in the original, but you also have James Earl Jones, and you have John Amos returning as uh, Mr. McDowell, who had the restaurant that was only a little bit like McDonald's. <laughs> but then, because of this American element, they get a chance to introduce uh, Leslie Jones, who plays the mother of the son. She had the tryst with yes. uh, Prince Akeem and Tracy Morgan is Uncle Reem. So they get to go as well to Zamunda. So now you got this whole culture clash. And that was the other thing I thought was really interesting to talk to Kiki Lane about. Here's a young actress who's done some great stuff. She was in If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, The Old Guard with Charlize Theron, did some stage work in Chicago, but still to find herself on a soundstage with Eddie Murphy. Wesley Snipes, who's in this one, Leslie Jones, Tracy Morgan, Arsenio Hall. How do you keep a straight face? I just feel like once you reach the point of having, you know, over five, you know, true comedic, you know, talented people on the set. And I mean, there were scenes where we had so many there's just no way. <laughs> There's no way that you have Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan in the same room and the shit isn't insane. <laughs> 
She's going to be a huge breakout star. Mm -hmm. Jermaine Fowler, who plays the son, is also on the cusp of greatness. He was in Judas and the Black Messiah. He Mm -hmm. played Mark Clark. He's in this. You just know we're going to see a lot of him. The thing about Coming to America, the sequel, is it's almost, almost an overstuffed bounty of riches, Roe, because we have all the returning characters, then we have all these new characters, then we have some real-life celebrity cameos that I'm not going to reveal, and you've got the main plot about who's going to eventually become heir to the throne after King Akeem some 30 years from now. You have a couple of different romances going. You have some friction in the marriage <laughs> between Lisa and Akeem. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. Then you got Wesley Snipes, who's from Nextoria, the country of Nextoria. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and it's kind of neat, too, though, because you see even some of the, the minor characters from the original. Uh, Louis Anderson who plays the hapless Maurice, uh, who has like two lines in the original. Uh, And Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy have been very frank about this. They were told by the studio 30 years ago, you need to put a white person in this movie. They told him absolutely to create a character, and they loved Louis. He has like three lines in the original. Apparently, he's still working at McDowell's 30 years later because we see him. Oh, the Zamunda McDowell. Yeah, so maybe he got a promotion, you know, (laughs) and, and some relocation money. Uh, what I also loved about this film, and I really did like it, Ro, I think it's it's very close to the original. You can almost never match the original because you need that material just to create the sequel. But Craig Brewer, who is the director of this film, I thought he did a great job of, I don't want to say mimicking, but seamlessly blending the style that John Landis, the original director, used in the physical look, the, the locations. A lot of this was actually shot in Georgia and on big sets. But he didn't, you know, you could do a lot of things with CGI that you couldn't have done 30 years ago. And he opted not to do that. It's got a great look to it, but it has even the production numbers, the musical numbers, the costumes, all of that feels true to the history of Zamunda. And I think that was really, you know, a cool way to go with this story. Without giving too much away, Hmm. there are a few scenes where they blend scenes from the original into this film and they use all the modern tricks to make it work. And it is seamless. If you just watch it and let it flow over you, you would never know the difference. If you're a nerd and you want to like figure out exactly how they did what they did, it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing stuff. And you know, it, it also helps that by by the grace of uh, wonderful photography and makeup, but mostly genetics, everybody who was in the original looks amazing yeah. 30 plus years later. Eddie Murphy, Arsenio. Uh, Money they, will do that. I, I think I it should be talking about. It should be pointed out that stars don't age the same way the rest of us do. They even have uh, at least one of the original rose petal bearers from the yeah. first movie. Uh, you could see in the background. I mean, you see, like even you know these relatively minor characters. Uh, and and uh, as we mentioned, we got to give props to the you know to those those barbers. You know, business is still booming at the at the <laughs> shop, and uh, we get some of the other characters, the reverend and the singer and all that. Right. And you know, I know Freddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, uh, both of them are so good in this movie as their main characters but really good in those characters that require all that makeup and all the hair and and really kind of you know, disappearing into these characters. It's not just like a comedic sketch. I mean, they really do. You really feel like you're just, even when they're interacting with themselves, it's really well done. And everybody is still alive. That's the amazing thing, except for Madge Sinclair, who played mm, his yes. mom in the original, who played yes. the queen, queen of Zamunda, yeah. in, in her own way, stole almost every scene that she was in. Yeah, because she was really the, the harbinger of the modern woman who really believed her son, if he had fallen in love, should pursue his heart and not go according to the traditions of Zamunda. And a little trivia from 
the making of the first coming to America, Madge Sinclair had been quite ill mm. for many years. She was a television actress, had done some film roles, and then developed leukemia. She had been battling leukemia through the shoot mm. of Coming to America. She outlived her diagnosis. She lived for a number of years after, mm. but then finally succumbed to it and was really a, a, a patron saint at the time of her death. And I wondered, watching this film, knowing that history, if they were going to pay homage to her, and they do, kind of swing back to remember her. Because she was not only an important character in the first movie, but also an important figure at that time. They do a wonderful job, I think, of paying tribute to a film without just you know wallowing in it too much. That's why I think it's such a worthy chapter two in this amazing story. Oh, it could have been bad. You know, it could have been a movie that they just phoned in. It really has all of the hard work elements that Eddie Murphy is known for. Eddie Murphy doesn't do anything half-heartedly. Even in some of the more esoteric, as I said, stuff that he has done, you can see the work that went into it on the screen. He's very much like the modern-day Jerry Lewis. I mean, mm -hmm. people looked yeah. at Jerry Lewis and thought, well, there were some hack things that he did along the way. But Jerry Lewis, every turn of his professional film career was an innovator, mm -hmm. an yeah. inventor, and always at the cutting edge. Yeah, actually invented that replay system that directors use to this day to see the dailies in real time. And what you're saying about Eddie Murphy is absolutely true, Ro. I mean, it wasn't that he was afraid to do a sequel. It's just that he's a perfectionist and he wasn't going to do it if it couldn't be as good as the original. It's the same reason Jerry Seinfeld says he'll never do another sitcom. He's like, why would I? Why would I do another sitcom? We did the best one of all time. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the showrunners for The Queen's Gambit, who said essentially the same thing. It's the perfect limited series. Sure, we could do a second chapter if we could get Anya Taylor-Joy involved, but will it be as good? Could it be as good? And I think here, in this case, it was worth the wait. First of all, I think the 30-year time period really opened up the possibilities for the storylines we got. We also had a chance to have this great infusion of other comedic movie stars who didn't steal the show but became part of the show with Tracy Morgan and Leslie Jones, etc. Who just, you could tell, this looks like one of those movies where they had as much fun making it as we're having watching it. Coming to America, the original, was groundbreaking because it was the first big budget, I think of like a $40 million mm -hmm. budget, yeah. studio enterprise that wasn't a black exploitation film or a race film from generations before. It was a movie for general audiences that had, as you point out, only one even kind of somewhat major white character. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was an African-American actor playing either an African or an American, yes. including Eddie Murphy playing a white guy. It's one of the great spoilers of the late 1980s. If you told your friends, hey, yeah. Eddie Murphy's the Jewish guy in the barbershop, yeah. you ruined it. It's almost like saying, hey, by the way, Luke's dad is Darth Vader. That ruins everything. Uh, it's very, very true. <laughs> they, end, they, really, they end coming to America with him telling the great joke about the guy that has the waiter. And he's saying, there's a problem with the soup. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Why don't you taste it? Oh, I need a spoon. Aha! Aha! <laughs> we should also mention, too, without giving anything away here, Ro, uh, especially when we're watching at home. We all do this. When you get to the end of a movie, as soon as we get to the closing credits, we go to the, we either hit ne next episode or we just click out. In fact, a lot of the streaming platforms almost want you to do that. They start showing you what you should see next. Uh, I implore everyone who's watching Coming to America, the sequel, to stay all the way through the closing credits all the way to the last gaffer 
lighting assistant, <laughs> caterer. Every song has been. Uh, no animals were harmed in yeah. the making of this movie. All that stays through all of that. And there's a little bonus treat at the end. Did you stay for that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. All right. I'm not telling you then. Okay. Oh, I love an Easter egg. Uh. Arsenio Hall, it's hard not to root for Arsenio Hall. Yes, he was a talk show host and he had all these other kind of wacky things that he did throughout his career, but he's such a fun, versatile actor. He's created a new character people will love. If people go back now and think about that talk show that he had from about 1989 to the mid-90s, I don't think he ever got his due, and he's starting to get more of it now because that was a pioneering, groundbreaking, late-night talk show. Arsenio Hall was putting on actors and rappers right. and other public personalities who were not deemed Johnny Carson friendly, were not really even getting invites from the Letterman show. And he really opened the door for that in a lot of ways. So I give him all the credit in the world. And he really is. He and Eddie Murphy pick up where they left off. You know, we talk about Eddie Murphy and buddy movies, and people always think about 48 Hours. Don't forget Coming to America. That's a buddy movie as well. It's on Amazon Prime right now. So go enjoy it. Coming to America Coming up in 30 seconds, the Thursday Three. I'm Bob Burke, founder and chairman of Burke America Parts Group, a family of brands that includes RepairClinic.com, an appliance and HVAC parts solution company that's grown into an international brand. Before AmericanEagle.com, we partially launched a new technology platform developed by another firm. American Eagle helped take our technology to a whole new level with digital marketing, software development, and business insights into our key markets, appliances, HVAC, and outdoor power equipment, and did so both on time and on budget. AmericanEagle.com has the resources, experience, and talent needed to produce solutions. Our new technology platform developed by AmericanEagle.com has produced tremendous results with higher traffic, conversion, engagement, and online revenue. If you have any home repairs you need to take care of, check us out at RepairClinic.com. If you need a world-class website or technology project, then I would highly recommend AmericanEagle.com. Call AmericanEagle.com at 773-NETWORK. That's AmericanEagle.com, 773-NETWORK. It's time for the Thursday 3, where we cut through all the clutter and give you three essential things you can watch this weekend. I want to start out with a wonderful family adventure, the animated film Raya and the Last Dragon from the Walt Disney Studios. It'll be on Disney Plus, available in select theaters. And, Ro, this is a wonderful adventure. It's set in this mythical land where once dragons and humans coexisted peacefully mm. but then a terrible plague came across the land and all the dragons disappeared the last one uh, gave her life basically so that humans could live and she could defeat the plague now it's 500 years later kelly marie tran does wonderful voice work as raya who's now a teenage princess and she is out to find that last dragon. It's the last best hope for humanity because now, of course, the humans are all the various factions are fighting one another. And what I love about this film is once she finds the last dragon and finds the magic potion to bring the last dragon to life, the last dragon springs to life in the form of this sort of unicorn-looking purple and green stuffed animal figure voiced by Aquafina, And is a very much a nerd, kind of awkward, kind of bumbling, is more surprised than anyone else that she's the last best hope for humanity. So it goes in a completely different direction and then basically becomes a great buddy movie with Raya and the Last Dragon. And we were talking, of course, about coming to America. And I think not since Shrek and Donkey, Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy in Shrek, have I seen such a wonderful pairing of like the hero 
And then the bumbling sidekick, who, of course, is going to have some heroic qualities as well. I hate to be critical not having seen this film, but I have seen the trailer for it. And the trailer doesn't sell it quite as well as most Disney films get sold. I looked at it and thought, I don't know if this is going to be as good. But, you know, if it's got the Disney imprimatur, it can't be bad. The visuals are beautiful. I, you know, I, I think it's, I want to say, second-tier Disney, and that's not an insult. What I'm saying is I'm giving it three stars and not four stars in my review. We've seen this similar story before. Even the, uh, you know, the story begins with Raya and her father, who's voiced by a great actor by the name of Daniel Day Kim. Uh, and mom's just gone because it's a Disney movie. At least one parent's dead even before the story begins. Right. And maybe the other parent doesn't last. I'm not oh, saying one way no. or another. Oh, I'm no. not saying one way or another. I will say this. The Last Dragon does have the ability to kind of bring uh, people who have been turned to stone back oh. to animated life. So wow. it's not a zombie movie. But no, I understand what you're saying. I, I think in the Disney canon, it won't go down as an all-time classic. But it's certainly a solid effort. And I think for a lot of families out there, many of whom are still on lockdown or at least partial lockdown, anything that they can watch with the little ones. And I will say this, like any Disney movie, any Pixar movie, there's going to be stuff for the adults. But on the grand scale, it's very kid-friendly. There's very little here that's going to have the kids up at night or asking questions compared to a lot of Disney movies, (laughs) which deal with the afterlife and murder (laughs) and Bambi got shot, spoiler alert, or Bambi's mom. Who got shot? Bambi's mom got yeah. shot. Somebody in the Bambi's ba- fine. Otherwise, it would have been a very short movie. Uh, somebody in the Bambi clan took it, you know. <laughs> so uh, I will say in the grand scheme of things, you know, if, if you're you know looking for something to watch with the kids, it'll keep you amused. Uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. That's our number three pick this week in All Thursday right. 3. And at number two? Uh, the number two entry is something that no child should see. That's for sure, Ro. It's the latest true crime limited documentary series from Netflix. Now, they have done, you know, Making a Murderer and The Night Stalker, The the Killer Next Door. I mean, they've done so many of these riveting and really well-made true crime documentary series. This one is called Murder Among the Mormons. Now, I'm going to ask you, because you've been around almost as long as I have and working in news for a long time. I didn't remember this story, Ro. It's a little before your time. It's in the 1980s, and there was this big scandal in the Mormon church because a young guy by the name of Mark Hoffman had found these documents that kind of contradicted the story of the Book of Mormon itself mm-hmm. and the founding of the Mormon faith and kind of threw that all into jeopardy. And he was selling these documents for tens of thousands of dollars. And the you know, Mormon historians, the church, forensic experts, everybody thought they were legitimate until they started thinking maybe they weren't and maybe this guy was a master forger. And then... Two separate incidents in the same day in Salt Lake City, people were killed by handmade bombs, one in his office, one outside her home. And then Mark Hoffman, the prime suspect himself, his car exploded. There was a bomb in his car and he barely survived. So all of a sudden people were like, is this domestic terrorism? What's happening here? And this Netflix series is a deep dive into that true life case which could easily make a fascinating fiction film as well, but it's all real. It's called Murder Among the Mormons. And it's on Netflix now. It's on Netflix now. And at number one, what's the top thing people should be watching this weekend? Kind of a wild card pick here, Ro, because this is not a feature film or a limited series. It's a program on CNN called Stanley Tucci Searching for Italy. And yes, it's the five millionth show in which we go on a travelogue and sample the cuisine of a wonderful land. But what I love about this is, first of all, Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Right. One of the great character actors of the last 30 years. And he searches for Italy. He goes to Italy and Stanley Tucci, you know, he 
He once owned a restaurant. He's written a cookbook. His Italian is pretty darn good, although he says he, he learned it as a child, so he sort of sounds like an old guy speaking like a 12-year-old Italian boy. All but right. he can communicate with the locals. But then he's going to Naples in search of the perfect pizza or going to various regions. And what I love about this show is, first of all, you know, we're reminded that it's called acting and that Stanley Tucci, who's often played the heavy or the villain, is a wonderful, sweet man. Not the guy from uh, The Hunger Games. Not the guy from the, or, or from uh, The Lovely Bones, God, or the guy that kept trying to kick Tom Hanks out of the terminal in the terminal. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's got this beautiful enthusiasm for the food and the people and the scenery. But it's kind of a great show for our times because we're not, most of us are not traveling right now. And that's why all travel shows have always been so fascinating. Most people won't get the opportunity to go to these places, but it's kind of comfort viewing. It looks great. It sounds great. You can almost taste the food as he's eating it. So it's, it's not groundbreaking television. I think it's going to be one of the kind of spiritual successors to what Anthony Bourdain did, you know, so beautifully for so many years. And who would have, Stanley Tucci would be a, such a great host for something like this. Well, Stanley Tucci, though, made one of the best movies about food ever, The Big Night. Yes, he did. That's right. Good call. People, If you, you should check that out if you get a chance. The Big Night. Yeah, that's one of those movies that makes you hungry the entire time yes. you're watching it. Yeah. He also was Julia Child's husband in Julia and Julia. So you say he's been prepping for this in one way or yes. another. He's, he's kind of the food guy. Uh, no, that's actually a great point. I'm so glad you brought up those films, both wonderful films. So we've got a little bit of something for everyone here. Raya and the Last Dragon, family animated adventure, the hardcore true crime docu-series Murder Among the Mormons, and then the wonderful Stanley Tucci searching for Italy. The Roan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service, global, digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. And we want to thank everybody who's been listening to the Screen Time Podcast, downloading, subscribing, and telling your friends. We appreciate the feedback. In weeks to come, we're actually going to talk to some of the folks who have been offering feedback. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, we'll see you on the screen, small or large. Executives in charge of Screen Time with Roan Roper, Renee Nelson, and Tim Alanius. Production and musical director, Brian Alzheimer. See you next time. <laughs>